In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life, and give us eternal life with God the Father through his Son. Come Holy Spirit, heavenly fire, enlighten our minds, and kindle in our hearts the fire of your love. Come Holy Spirit, heavenly wine, and fill us with joy and gladness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. It is a great joy for me to be here with you this morning and this weekend. I bring you greetings from my dear wife Claire, who would have been here but had to go home because her mother's dying. Um, it looked like she wouldn't get back in time um, before she died, but uh, we prayed and asked at the least that she'd get back before she died and, if possible, that there'd be some communication. Um, she, la she didn't just last until Claire came home, but she rallied for the first week remarkably. So uh, there was a lot of unfinished business there that needed to be attended to. Um, Claire is a very significant person in her, uh, spiritually in her life. And after that first week, now this week, she's gradually been ebbing away. And I'd expect to hear news any day. But then again, you never know. Uh, the nurses yesterday said, you know, she should have gone. Uh, is she waiting for somebody? So she, maybe she's hanging there until I can give her the final blessing. Now, I better get this right. I can't see the clock because it's over there, uh, under the light. Uh, now, the topic I want to speak about is uh, heavenly power for earthly work. The ongoing reception of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is a topic that's particularly dear to my heart and I think it's very important for us as Christians and for us as Lutherans because if there's one topic which for the last 50 years at least has been neglected by most of the Orthodox churches and I think also by Lutherans, um, it is the whole teaching of the Holy Spirit and the reality of the Spirit. Uh, the Pentecostals have come in and filled the vacuum and very often then we get scared because as soon as people see Holy Spirit, I th you know, you think about speaking in tongues and prophecy and miracles and all that supernatural stuff. Or sup it's what seems to us to be supernatural stuff. Um, uh, but we shouldn't really be scared about speaking of the Spirit and it's important that we rise to the challenge because we can't be Christians without the Holy Spirit. We can't lead a godly life, a holy life, without the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't always easily recognisable. Um, he's a shy spirit. You know, a shy person stands on the fringes, you don't notice them. They do all the work, but you never know what they're doing. The Holy Spirit's like that. He never calls attention to himself. He always points to Jesus and to God the Father. So in most cases, you don't know where he is, you don't know what he's doing, and very often we get confused because there's many kinds of spirits, and we, we very often think the other spirit is the Holy Spirit rather than the Holy Spirit. Works in strange ways. 
Um, I still remember a, one of the most important episodes of my life, and most important episode in, in my theological uh, training. Um, now, when I went to seminary, I thought, okay, well, I've really got to get things together a bit more than uh, I had in terms of my devotional life. Um, so, um, uh, and in church, but I've noticed something rather odd, that whenever I was meditating, uh, my mind would race around all over the place, and I couldn't get it focused on what I was meditating, the Word of God. Now, it would be right for a while, and then all of a sudden, bing this way, bing that way. I've got a bit of a grasshopper mind, uh, in any case. And it was worst of all in church. And it was worst of all, not in church when it was boring, in a bad sermon, but a funny, there was a funny kind of uh, inverse uh, 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 behavior. The better the sermon, the more my wine, mind would wander. So, eventually, I decided, look, I, I, and I tried to concentrate and rid myself of the distractions. Um, so, but the more I tried, the worse it became. Uh, so I decided, look, I've really got to hit this on the head. So I plucked up courage and confronted um, the one person on the faculty, the teaching staff, who I thought might be able to help me. So after one lecture, uh, it was old Dr. Zasser. He had a great big pile of books. I still see this clearly in my mind. And he was going from the main building to the library. That was his favourite place. And he was walking along. Uh, it's hard to nail him down because you know, he was always on the move. And I said, Dr. Zasser, I've got a problem. And he stopped, looked at me like that. He says, raised his finger and he said, good Kleinig. <laughs> I, I said, I've got a spiritual problem, actually. He said, good Kleinig. It's the first time anybody ever told me that spiritual problems were good. And it's better than, he said, what is your problem? And I said, uh, okay, look, whenever I want to meditate and whenever I want to listen to a sermon, my mind is distracted by the devil. He stopped, he looked, he paused and he said, Who said it is the devil? Perhaps it is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Turned his back and walked off. <laughs> Do you know that that's the best advice I ever got? And in practical terms, that was the best teaching on the Holy Spirit. Perhaps if we can get time later, I'll leave that hang for you. Why, why is that so profound uh, in practical terms? Another story. Okay, one of the, uh, for the first part of my life, I spent a lot of time in uh, education. And I was a chaplain at two different Lutheran high schools, uh, connected with congregation. I won't explain them. It's too complicated. But I did a lot of classroom teaching. And there's one question, and catechesis, we'd have confirmation classes then, and great big ones. Um, one of the questions that the, invariably in any confirmation class would always come up was, please, sir, do we have to go to church? <laughs> and I would shock the little darlings by saying, no, you don't have to go to church. And you could see their faces drop. Huh? Huh? What did he say? The ones who are asleep at the back all of a sudden, what did he say? Uh, and I repeat, no, you don't have to go to church, but you'd be damn fools if you didn't. 
and then I'd explain. Um, still remembered clearly, there was a great big shopping centre from the school where this happened, about a, a mile from where the school was, and there's a big boarding school, something like 400 boarders, and uh, any time that they had free, they'd like to go to the shopping centre. You know where kids like going to shopping centre, whether they've got money or not? Um, uh, and that's the place to hang out. So uh, I said, well, look, just imagine I gave you the super, uh, no, the Kleinig super voucher and had a list of things that you could uh, uh, go to uh, the main shops and sh uh, shopping town. That was the, the name of the shopping centre. Okay, it was a voucher for shopping town um, that if they presented this voucher, it was a bottomless voucher, they could get uh, the these items for nothing. Oh, I said, that'll be great. PK, that's what they used to call me. Uh, that'd be great, PK, give us one of them. Uh, and I said, well, just imagine if I gave you this Kleinig Super Voucher and you say, please, sir, do we have to use this voucher? Okay, do we have to use this voucher? Putting it quite simply, why do we go to church? Why do we meditate? Why do we pray? In order to receive the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. Okay. Now, um, the question is, um, Jesus promises, God the Father promises to give the Holy Spirit, and the practical question is then, where do you go to receive the Spirit, and how do you receive the Spirit, isn't it? Uh, where do you go? Okay, you have a, uh, a catalogue uh, of stuff. Um, uh, you need to know, if you want some of the stuff that's on sale, you need to know where to get the stuff um, and how to purchase it. So practically, the two uh, practical questions are, where do you go to receive the Spirit if it's a gift? And how do you receive the Spirit? Well, um, the answer is a bit counter-cultural, particularly for us modern Christians who think in individual terms. Um, the simplest answer is the church. According to the New Testament, the church is the temple, the residence, the place, the location of the Holy Spirit. Just let that sink in the implications of that. If you want to know where to go, to experience, receive the Spirit or whatever, it's the church. Just listen to what Paul says. Don't you know that you yourselves, um, you uh, congregation in Corinth, you guys, uh, you congregation, uh, are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. Don't you know that you people here at St. John's are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and this is where the Holy Spirit makes his home. If you want to visit with the Spirit, this is the place. And this is wonderful because most people think that the Holy Spirit's where? Up there. And we need to go on a heavenly trip uh, if we want to encounter the Holy Spirit. No, uh, the wonderful miracle of... Uh, the Christian faith, uh, the wonderful miracle of the Incarnation is that heaven comes down to earth. God meets us here uh, on earth. We encounter him physically 
in physical places with physical people and physical things here on earth. The church, now I don't mean the church as a building, but I mean the church as people, congregation, is the residence, the location of the Holy Spirit. Now practically it means um, that if you uh, want to uh, uh, go in a place where you can be sure that the Holy Spirit is at work, and you want the Holy Spirit to work in you, you go to church. That's the place where you'll experience the Holy Spirit, if I can use that word. And um, it's the place where uh, you can be sure that uh, the Holy Spirit will be at work on you and in you in ways that you will not be able to put your finger on because it's invisible and it's shy, it's gentle, it's modest. It'll, it won't be a whiz-bang experience, but um, it'll be such that you barely notice it, but you'll only notice the fruits of it, the results of it. It's the place where you will be protected from all other spirits, um, Satan and all other evil spirits. So it's a safe place spiritually where you can be absolutely sure that the Holy Spirit's at work. Okay? It's a safe place spiritually, and it's a place where you can be sure that the Holy Spirit's at work. And uh, it's the place where you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that you can um, do uh, heavenly work, God's work, together with God here on earth. Um, it's the place where we conceive the Holy Spirit so that we do heavenly work um, in our life here on earth. And that doesn't mean extra works, but that's so that we can do our work empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay, then well then how, the question is, where and how do we receive the Holy Spirit? And there are three fundamental foundational things. Now, the, the Holy Spirit can work apart from these places and these means, but these are the places where we can be sure that we will encounter the Holy Spirit. Number one, uh, I want to take you to Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the, the uh, little congregation, 120 people in Jerusalem. Uh, you remember well, now, the culmination of that, uh, that day was Peter's great sermon about Jesus. And then the people asked, you know, what must we do to be saved? And then this is what Peter says. Um, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Old people, young people, children, adults, all of you, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for the reception of the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, notice the children there, and to all who are far away, that's Gentiles, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Now I could preach a hundred sermons on each of these words here, and I won't be touching on that, but notice that there are two gifts <coughs> that Peter says are made available to those who believe, those who are baptized. Uh, what are the two gifts? There's 
forgiveness, release from sins. Um, forgiveness which uh, ushers us then into the presence of God the Father. It's the, the key that unlocks the door to heaven, which is here on earth. But the second gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit as the Father's gift to us through the Son. Notice the two gifts, forgiveness of sins and the reception of the gift of the Spirit. Now notice that gift there, that's very important. It's gift, reception of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, now, um, so I want to focus on reception because this is the key thing. Uh, the, you, uh, uh, you receive the Spirit and you always receive the Spirit as a gift. And just as you don't just receive forgiveness once, say the day you're baptized, how often do you receive forgiveness? Every day. Every day. Uh, you go to church for what purpose? To receive forgiveness. Uh, the service begins with confession and absolution, Holy Communion, you receive the blood of Jesus for what purpose? Forgiveness of sins. So um, you keep on receiving uh, forgiveness in the same way you keep on receiving the Holy Spirit. Now I want to return to that key uh, point. Now, um, so first of all, um, baptism has to do with uh, the reception of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is made available um, to those people who are baptized. Uh, people who are baptized can, to use a modern term, access the Spirit. Um, they're in a position where they can receive the Spirit. Just as um, a person who's married can receive married love and everything that that entails. Um, so, uh, baptism opens us to receiving the life of God, the life of Jesus, uh, the spiritual life. Now, the second way, um, two other ways. Um, secondly, uh, uh, to put it quite simply, uh, you go to church for what purpose? Not just for the forgiveness, that's number one, but number two then? The reception of the Holy Spirit. And there's two places, two ways that you receive the Holy Spirit by hearing God's Word and by receiving Holy Communion. Now that's what I want to focus on. Look, this is simple stuff. This is not rocket science. Um, anybody can get hold of this. Just listen to what Paul says to the uh, Christians at Galatian, Galatia, the Galatians. Um, uh, which is, you know, I'd like to paint it in big heavenly, uh, big letters and emblazon it all over the USA because if there's one thing that Christians need to hear here in the US and throughout the West, but particularly here, um, it's this. I would like you to learn just one, one little thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? by keeping the Ten Commandments? The answer is no. Or by believing what you heard? The answer is yes. So you receive the Spirit by believing what you hear. Uh, the ears are the funnel for the Spirit. The ears are the antenna 
for the reception of the Spirit. And he goes on to say, Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Does God give his Spirit and work miracles by your observing the law or by believing what you have heard? And notice the idea of what you have heard is ongoing. You know, what you have heard in the past, what you're hearing now, and what you will hear in the future. The answer is, um, God gives his Holy Spirit and God works miracles in your life. Miracles that you're maybe not even aware of. How? By your, by the Holy Spirit uh, that you uh, receive by believing the Word of God. Notice the contrast here with two different ways uh, by which uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, or people think or teach that the Holy Spirit's given. There's the wrong way, the dead end, which is by keeping the law, keeping the Ten Commandments, being good, doing the right thing. You don't receive the Spirit that way. Uh, and the other way is by hearing and believing the good news, the gospel, the word of God. So what's the purpose of Pastor Brusick and Pastor Nelson reading the scriptures and preaching here every Sunday? The purpose of preaching is giving out, delivering, handing on the Holy Spirit. Uh, what's the purpose of your coming to church and listening to the readings, listening to the sermon? It's to receive the Holy Spirit. Now it's Im important to see um, that God doesn't just give us your Holy Spirit once. I'm going to come back to that. But he keeps on giving the Holy Spirit. He keeps on giving and you keep on receiving the Holy Spirit again and again and again. Um, so you receive the Holy Spirit by hearing God's voice, the voice of the Heavenly Father through the mouth of his Son. Uh, so the Heavenly Father gives his Holy Spirit through the words that he gives his Son to speak and that he gives pastors to speak. Now uh, the notion that people have is, you know, if I talk about ongoing reception of the Holy Spirit, we have the idea that um, uh, you receive a little bit of the Spirit and you, know, you need to receive more and more of the Spirit until you are Spirit-filled. Now, being filled with the Spirit is a biblical picture, but it's only one of many. And there's a problem with the picture, and it's a picture uh, um, that's used here. Filling with the Spirit, well, let's go here, we've got this here. Okay, uh, okay, I'll fill the cup. How full is this cup? Is it full? A About a fourth, yeah, quarter. Okay, um, so uh, if uh, uh, um, so, this is uh, you got a little bit of coffee here. Now my cup has more. This I won't show it to you, but this is three quarter full. Now if it's going to be in, in the pictures, if you if you really want the full deal, it's got to go right to the top, and it's not worth anything until you are full. So you, you can have more or less of the spirit. Now that's nonsense when it's true about coffee, but it's not about uh, it's nonsense when it comes to the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit's not a thing that you can have more or less of. The Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit's a person, not a thing. And you either receive the Spirit or you don't receive the Spirit. And when you receive the Spirit, you receive uh, the Spirit entirely, wholly. Um, there's no problem with the giving. It's always totally giving. The problem is our receiving end. Just listen to what Jesus himself has to say in John chapter 3, 34 to 35. He, that's uh, 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 Jesus, he whom the Father has sent, speaks the words of God. For he gives the Spirit, how? Without measure. So when it comes to giving the Spirit, there's no measure. Okay, you receive a little bit of the Spirit, but here we get a super Christian, okay? You're a, you're a pastor, aren't you? No. Okay, well, oh, it's your dad, okay, okay. But, okay, that's even better. The fact that you produce such a Spirit-filled daughter means that you must be filled with the Spirit. Must be, must be. okay. Poor you, you've only got a quarter Spirit. He's full Spirit. No, that's not the way it works. It's like being half married or quarter married or, uh, 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 or pro fully married. Okay? It doesn't work that way. Okay? It doesn't uh, go work that way. Just listen, but how does God the Father give the Spirit? He gives His words to Jesus and Jesus speaks his wo God's words to us. And by speaking God's words to us, what does Jesus speak? speak into us the Holy Spirit. God's Word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. We hear a lot about that as Lutherans, but we fail to see the practical implication of that. If God's Word um, is, uh, uh, if the, the Bible, God's Word is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it means that He inspires us with the Spirit by means of the Word. Can you see that? If it is inspired by the Spirit, it inspires us with the Spirit. Inspire means breathing in. So if God's Spirit is breathed into Jesus, when Jesus speaks, he doesn't just use human spirit, human breath, but uh, his words inspire us, fill us, give us the Holy Spirit. Very important and very helpful teaching. And notice that there's no partial giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's true that there are many different gifts of the Spirit, uh, but there is only one gift of the Spirit. You know, uh, uh, no, each one of you is called to do different work together with God, and so uh, the Holy Spirit gives you a different gift, a different charisma, which empowers you to do the work that God calls you to do. If you're a mum, it's going to be different to if you are a teenager. If you're a retiree like me, it's going to be different to a, a, a person in the prime of their life. Um, uh, so the one spirit gives many different uh, gifts. Uh, but behind all those one gifts, you have one spirit that's given fully, entirely to all Christians. Notice the chain here. The Holy Spirit comes from God the Father through the Son uh, to the disciples, the apostles, and from the apostles it's given to 
people in the church and it's handed down in the church uh, and we are at the end of that great chain by which God the Father delivers the Holy Spirit to us. And he delivers the Holy Spirit to us through the Word of God by speaking God's Word. Time going. Okay, now, here a little bit of something um, that uh, 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 it's very easy, it's much easier for people who spoke Hebrew or Greek to get this than uh, are we. Because in Greek and Hebrew and in Latin and in many languages except English, spirit is the same word as breath or wind. So spirit, breath is the same word. So uh, what do I use when I speak words? What is the power uh, that makes it possible for me to speak words and for you to hear the words I speak? Breath. My breath. My breath ca uh, creates the words and carries the words to you. The stronger my breath, the louder my voice. Huh? Get the basic thing? Now, that's the picture that's used throughout the scriptures for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you like, is the breath of God. And so, how does God give us the Spirit? By speaking to us. Bringing the, the, the uh, Spirit wrapped up, parceled up in and through His Word. How do you get my Spirit? By listening to what I say. Do you get the basic picture? Okay, um, that's the second thing. So how do we, where do we go if we want to receive the Holy Spirit? We're baptised. Um, okay, that's not the end of the story, it's the beginning of the story. Just as the marriage ceremony is not the end of the story, but it's the beginning of your married life. Okay, number one, baptised, that's the foundation. Secondly, hearing, listening, uh, attending to, believing the Word of God. And now comes for me the most uh, uh, wonderful part of all um, about receiving the Holy Spirit. Quite simply, every Sunday, and more often if possible, I go to Holy Communion to receive all God's heavenly gifts here on earth, wrapped up in physical form. Um, so I go to Holy Communion in order to receive what? The Holy Spirit. If you like, that's my default setting. If I don't, and I've got plenty of reasons every week to go to Holy Communion, but that's my bottom line uh, 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 approach. I go to Holy Communion to receive Holy Communion. Why is it that uh, your pastors uh, have daily communion? Well, they've got an impossible task to do. Most obviously, they're struggling to be a good husbands, good fathers, uh, good brothers, uh, good sons, and so on. Like most of us, they uh, uh, struggle to do earthly work. But what's God given them to do? Heavenly work. And heavenly work can only be done by the power of Holy Spirit. You need supernatural power supernatural resources to do God's work, heavenly work. Now, it's not just the pastors, by the way. All of you are required to do, not just your ordinary work, common work that everybody has to do, but on top of your ordinary work, 
you're called to do God's work. So let's say you're a mum. You're not only called to be, be a good mum in human terms, but you're called to do, uh, to do the work of God as a mother with your kids on top of that. We go to church to receive Holy Communion. The key passage for this is Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 4. Now probably you know that the congregation in Corinth was a Pentecostal congregation. At least the, it was split down the middle between the Pentecostals and your ordinary Christians. At least that's what the Pentecostals called them, you know, the ordinary Christians. You know, they were the lower level, they were the spiritual high flyers. Um, yeah, they were believers, but they weren't born with the Spirit. Um, you know, if you wanted to see it very clearly, I don't know if you've ever been asked by somebody, are you a born-again, Spirit-filled believer? The answer is yes. Um, but they divided in two parts. First, you're born again, that's past grade. And then you get credit grade, which is spirit-filled. Okay? Now, um, that's what Paul's combating here. Um, the notion that uh, uh, there's two classes of Christians. It prob they probably divided it into then subgrades within that. You know, every you know, higher grade, higher grade, higher grade, until you had the super spiritual people. Okay, he says, now I want you. Now the you is not you singular, but yous, you all, um, you plural. You whole congregation in Corinth. Uh, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact. Notice this is a fact. Uh, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, that's the Israelites, were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And what did they do? They all ate of the same spiritual food and drank of the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Now there's this tell, you know, in a simple form Paul repeats the story of uh, the key foundational story of the people of God in the Old Testament. You remember they were slaves in Egypt, Moses delivered them there and he brought them through the Red Sea in which they, the Pharaoh and his armies were drowned, that sea which drowned their enemies uh, uh, saved them. And they were protected from, both in the sea and uh, in their journey to the sea by the fact that God was present with them in the glory cloud. Remember? Um, first of all, the glory cloud goes in front of them and opens a way through the sea, uh, the place of chaos and death, created a highway for them to walk on, was in front of them, and that cloud was light for them. And then once they were all in the sea, the cloud went from, behind, from in front to behind, and the same cloud that gave them light uh, gave darkness to the Egyptians that followed them. That's the story. And after they passed through the sea, I would have expected God to take them straight to the promised land. One step. But no, they spent 40 years in the desert. Um, and a desert is the place where you lack the basic necessities for life. What, what did they lack? Water and food. And God supplied 
water and food to them in a miraculous way. He gave them water from a rock when they needed it, and he gave them heavenly food, heavenly manna every day. Now, that's the story. So uh, uh, they had this supernatural food that sustained them on their journey to the promised land. Now this, as Paul says, is a picture of our, the journey of the church through history, but it's also the picture for the journey of each one of us through life. Let me unpack just a few parts of what Paul says here. And in typical fashion, Paul just, just compresses uh, picture after picture, idea after idea here in a small passage. Um, notice the emphasis here on all, all, all. Not just some of you, but all, all, all. And the emphasis on the same. And uh, so all uh, ancestors were under the cloud, the cloud of God's presence. So God's presence was given fully to all the Israelites. They all passed together through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses and they all drank the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual gift. Notice the all and the same there. Uh, very important for Paul. The cloud is the glory cloud. You see, um, if God showed himself and his presence to us here and now, let's say all of a sudden, bang! No, God would be visibly present to you. What would be the problem? Zap, we'd be dead. And we even... Uh, if that wasn't the case, we couldn't take him in. You know, it would just be overwhelming. Okay? Uh, so when God, the closer God comes to us, the closer God came to his people, the more he hid himself. The glory cloud both reveals God's presence and conceals God's presence with his people. That's the glory cloud. Um... Okay, but the focus here is on the nourishment that God gives to the Israelites on their journey to the promised land. You know, well, there's manna from heaven, heavenly bread, and then there is uh, supernatural water, the water from the rock. Uh, just listen again to the lat uh, 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 verse 3 and 4. They all drank of the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual gift. Now, if there's one word that we're confused about, uh, and Christians right throughout history, not so much Jewish Christians, the early church, but then uh, throughout history, tend to think that uh, spiritual is the opposite of physical or material. So what's spiritual? There are, you have physical things, material things. So is this spiritual? No, it's physical. Um, uh, uh, is the air physical or spiritual? Getting a problem because um, people used to say it was spiritual because they didn't know it was an actual thing, air. Um, but if you left the, you know, I won't go into it, but the basic problem is that we see uh, spiritual as physical, um, uh, no, uh, 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 the opposite of what's physical. And so uh, uh, those are separated from each other. And coming out of that, for most people, if you say having a spiritual experience, they mean either a mental, spiritual is mental. Um, there's one part of the Reformation that went down that road. Um, spiritual is mental, 
know, the full mental faculties. Um, so it means, uh, now if we say we have a, 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 so it's not so much if we have a spiritual experience, it's not a, a bodily experience, but it has to do with a mind experience. But then from um, the pietist movement onward, particularly the Wesleyan movement onwards, um, spiritual became identified with emotional. And if I read it right, that's the way most people understand it here across the broad uh, Protestant spectrum. So uh, spiritual is emotional. It has to do with feelings. Um, now, spiritual can be emotional and intellectual, uh, but it's none of those. Spiritual has to do with having to do with the Holy Spirit. So spiritual food means food that gives you the Holy Spirit. Spiritual drink is uh, drink that gives you the Holy Spirit. Or if you do spiritual work, it means a work that is empowered and inspired by what? Or who? The Holy Spirit. You get it, basically? It's not rocket science. You don't have to have a PhD like Pastor Brusick from uh, 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 one of the great universities to get that. Um, spiritual means having to do with the Holy Spirit. That's the key to this passage. Um, there's... I, I don't know whether you've ever noticed, as if you've ever read the story of Israel's time in the desert, there's two places there where um, the Israelites run out of water and God gives them water from a rock. Um, you know, Moses hits the rock and water comes out of the rock and uh, that water saves their lives. Okay? Now, uh, the, the Jewish rabbis, and remember that Paul was trained as a Jewish rabbi, said this is rather curious. First of all, you get the rock at the beginning of the journey, and then you get the rock at the end of the journey. And they said, well, it must be the same rock. That rock must have followed them throughout all their journey. As you can see how they come to that conclusion, um, uh, just as the con God supplies ongoing food, so he supplies ongoing drink in a supernatural way to his people. Putting quite simply, what is your spiritual food? Christ's body given for you to eat in Holy Communion. What is your spiritual drink? Christ's blood. Simple as that. Um, uh, so uh, 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 we eat the body of Jesus, so that by eating his body, we take in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not just then uh, affecting our emotions or our mind, but if we eat the Holy Spirit, it means that the Holy Spirit fills what? Our bodies. And affects our bodies. Uh, uh, nourishes our bodies in a supernatural way. Uh, we drink Christ's blood. Now, this, people in the West find this almost impossible. It's abhorrent, and it, it sounds, all this stuff sounds like cannibalism. Um, uh, drinking Christ's blood. Now, if, now, whenever I taught this to our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, they knew it straight away uh, what was meant. Because they understand that the spirit of an animal, the spirit of a person, is in the blood. And if you drink the blood, you receive the spirit, the life power 
of that animal or that person. So um, uh, when we drink the blood of Jesus, we are infused with Christ's blood and we are infused with the Holy Spirit. You know, you have, it's probably simpler for Westerners and less problem imaginatively to see that when you go to Holy Communion, um, you've got a, a, a blood problem, um, you need to get a uh, new blood, you have a blood transfusion. And Jesus transfuses his blood into you and by doing that, he transfuses his spirit into you. Um, just a few uh, uh, chapters later than chapter 10, where Paul talks about our spiritual food and spiritual drink, Paul says this, he speaks about all of us being baptized into one body, and then he adds, and all of you were given one spirit to drink. Now, he's speaking to people who were baptized as adults. The same service in which they were baptized was also the first service in which they received Holy Communion. So all of you, notice not all of you, were given one spirit to drink. Not just the spirit-filled high flies. Uh, everybody that's children to old dodderers like me all drink the same spirit in Holy Communion. Now, um, just the practicalities of this. Um, just listen to what Luther says about this. First of all, in the large catechism, he says here, in the sacrament, you are to receive from Christ's lips the forgiveness of sins. Now notice then, the forgiveness of sins, quite often we Lutherans stop there. That's the end of the story. But then what is he going to say? As well as the forgiveness of sins, um, which contains, bundles up, and brings or delivers God's grace and the Spirit. Now, uh, he's, those are the, not two separate things. God's grace is given to us by giving His Spirit. The Spirit brings God's grace and favour to us. So we have forgiveness of sins, and then on top of that we have the Holy Spirit, and then with all His gifts. So it's not just the Spirit, but all the gifts of the Spirit. And then he lists a few of those gifts, protection, defence, power against death, the devil, and all troubles. So whatever you need, is given to you by the Holy Spirit who brings all the gifts that you need for living our heavenly lives here on earth. Isn't that wonderful? Um, secondly, Luther says, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, must not be sought elsewhere than in and by the words of Christ. The words which Christ speaks. So, word... It's not just that the Christ speaks his word to us in the sermon or in the readings, but Christ speaks his word most obviously in the words that he speaks in Holy Communion. What are those words? You know them well. Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Those words deliver his body and blood to us, but they also deliver the Holy Spirit to us. His words assure us that the flesh is given and the blood is shed for us. Whoever hears this, hears God's word and hears the Spirit's word. So when you hear those words tomorrow or this evening, when you come to Holy Communion, uh, you don't hear the words of 
Pastor Brusick or Pastor Nelson, you hear the words of Jesus and you hear the words of the Holy Spirit, the words that are inspired by the Holy Spirit and inspire you with the Holy Spirit. Now, yeah, I just want to do, finish the next and then I'll be open to question. Um, uh, I don't know whether you've noticed um, the references to, to this in your communion service. Um, take, for example, the prayer of thanksgiving in setting one and two. They're the first two orders of service in your hymnal. Gathered in the name and the remembrance of Jesus, we beg you, our Lord, to forgive, renew, and strengthen us with your word and spirit. Notice that word and spirit together. How does God forgive us? Through his word and spirit. How does God renew us? Through his word and spirit. How does God strengthen us? Give us divine strength? It is through his word and spirit in holy communion. Or there's a prayer of thanksgiving. This is the fourth order of service. Grant us, this is before we come to holy communion, we say this prayer, Grant us your Holy Spirit that we may faithfully eat and drink the fruits of his cross and receive the blessings of forgiveness, life and salvation that comes to us with his, uh, holy, with his body and blood. Um, then proper preface for setting five. Notice that there's a reference to this in every one of the orders of service. Grant us your Spirit graciously Gracious Father, that we may he give heed to the testament of your Son in true faith, and above all, firmly take to heart the words with which Christ gives us his uh, uh, body and blood for our forgiveness. So grant us your Spirit, so that we can receive these gifts. Lastly, the prayer after communion, which you pray uh, at all services, we ask that that's a second prayer, we ask that you don't, do not forsake your children, but always rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled, empowered, uh, constantly to serve you in everything we do. Now, question. Yes? Um, the manna from heaven, yes. was that just nourishment for the body, or was that spiritual food also? Okay. Um, um, we quite often watch out uh, where uh, for uh, there's a very common dodge um, that uh, 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 you find everywhere in the modern world. That's what full, uh, scholars call false antithesis. Um, now I used to play games with my students, and I'd say, "Is it this or that?" They'd scratch their heads. Um, but they got hang of it because usually it's, it's, not, it's not neither this nor that, but in most cases it's both this and that. What? All of the above. All of the above. All of the above. Both this and that and, and all of the above. Or another trick question, it's a, is it either this or that? The answer is it's neither this nor that. Um, now, see, one of the problems that we have is that we separate physical and spiritually so closely. Uh, and I, there's a lot of other things that lie behind your question because things change from Old Testament to New Testament. The Holy Spirit is not given to all the people um, in the Old Testament. Just some people receive the Spirit. The big miracle that occurs at Pentecost, instead of just prophets and kings 
and uh, yeah, uh, judges uh, receiving the Holy Spirit. They were, and they were given the Holy Spirit to do a particular task. Remember, Saul received the Spirit, lost the Spirit to rule. Uh, prophets were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, okay, Some of God's people received the Spirit. Now, what's the big difference in the New Covenant? All flesh receives the Spirit. That's the contrast. And receives the Spirit uh, 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 with, for... Uh, uh, in Old Testament, even they received the Spirit to do earthly things. We receive the Holy Spirit with all heavenly blessings. So what's partly there in the Old Covenant is fully here in the New Covenant. So to answer your question, I'd say all of the above. Thank you. Righto? Very important. Um, the, the references in the New Testament say John chapter 6 don't make any sense unless that's true. Now, Scott, I'd just like to finish this. The second unit is a little bit smaller. How are you going? You're travelling all right? Uh, do you mind if I just go, say, five minutes more? Okay. Now, um, so uh, what's the way by which we, uh, Jesus delivers his Holy Spirit to us as an ongoing gift? It's by means of baptism, by means of hearing the word, by means of receiving Christ's body and blood. Uh, so, and, uh, and I've touched on this next point already. Uh, uh, I think. We, res we come to church every Sunday, every week, most of us, unless you're particularly lucky and can have it several times a week, like some of your pastors. Um, but for most of us, all we can make is, if we, if, you know, if, even if things go well, is once a week. Um, and listen to what Paul has to say about uh, uh, the blessing of the Spirit. He says, Blessed... Uh, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Now notice they're every, not just one or two, but Jesus is present with us. He brings heaven down to earth and he gives every, makes available every spiritual blessing which God gives to us as we are able to receive it. Now, every spiritual blessing means that we not only receive the blessing, the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we also receive the blessings that the Holy Spirit gives. Um, notice every there. N not just a few um, to some people, but to all Christians, you have the Holy Spirit and all the blessings, the gifts of the Spirit are made available to us. Um, we, and that means, quite simply, that uh, we have access to heavenly resources to lead our earthly lives. Heaven comes down to earth for us and we receive supernatural gifts, supernatural empowerments, supernatural uh, 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 resources to do God's work here on earth. Have you ever noticed and thought about the uh, apostolic benediction? You know, well, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and what? The communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, uh, communion, technically that word communion could be in Greek one of two things. It can, could mean uh, uh, the common gift of the Holy Spirit, 
or the community that the Holy Spirit creates. Okay, which of these is the proper understanding here? Do both. <laughs> oh, you top of the class, okay. Uh, she's learnt the right answer and students very often. Yes, all right. So uh, uh, by means of that benediction, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, God the Father gives us, all of us, the common gift of the Holy Spirit. And that common gift of the Holy Spirit creates supernatural community. Okay? All of us receive the same Spirit in the divine service. And we are empowered to, not just to do uh, holy service in church, but we are empowered to do holy service priestly service in our daily lives. And the beauty of it is that you can be sure that you've received the Spirit, not because you've had some experience, because if you have some experience, you're not sure whether it's the real thing or not. Have you noticed that experience is always ambiguous? You don't know how to read it. How, can, how does God make sure that uh, we can be sure that we receive the Holy Spirit? He gives it to us uh, uh, attached with words and attached to physical things. Now, this is, the, this is the key insight, and that separates us Lutherans and all Orthodox Christians, Catholics, Orthodox, from your general run-of-the-mill pro uh, 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 Protestants, particularly Pentecostals, is that uh, we believe and teach with the Scriptures that God delivers His Holy Spirit to us through tangible physical gifts. So how can you be sure tonight or tomorrow that you receive the Holy Spirit? You have the Word, but better than that, you have evidence of it in your hand and in your mouth. Just listen to what God, uh, Luther says. The Spirit cannot be given to us, notice cannot be given to us, except in material and physical things, such as the word, notice the surprise here, the word, water, Christ's body, and in his saints here on earth. Oh, Holy Spirit here. Holy Spirit here. And we meet together because we share the Holy Spirit and the Holy, we have the Holy Spirit as a common gift, uh, shared with each other. Now, all of this is put beautifully right at the beginning of our fundamental Lutheran Confession of Faith, the Augsburg Confession. Uh, Article 4 has to do with saving faith. How do we come to be justified? How do we come to be uh, believers? Uh, it's by believing in Jesus we are justified before God the Father. Our sins are forgiven. Well, if that happens through faith, the next question is, well, how do you get faith? It's quite simple. In order to obtain this faith, that's justifying faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments has been instituted, understood by God. For through the word and sacraments, as through instruments or means, the Holy Spirit is given, and the Holy Spirit produces faith where and when it pleases God in those who hear the gospel. Um, how does God deliver the Holy Spirit to us? Through physical means through physical words, through bread and wine and water, through pastors, um, through our fellow Christians. Physical means, in a physical location, um, 
uh, as physical people here on earth. Well, um, as a pastor, people have quite often, and uh, under the influence of the Pentecostal movement, have said, um, Pastor, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? I love that question. <laughs> if only more would come to me and say that. And I say it's quite simple. Uh, okay, listen to the word, be baptised, come to church and receive Holy Communion. Um, if you do that, even if you don't have what seems to be extraordinary experiences, you can be sure of what? Of that you have the Holy Spirit. And you can be sure that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. You can be sure that wherever you go, you take what with you? Holy Spirit. Um, so uh, you receive the Holy Spirit not just for uh, uh, you know, the Sunday service or on su for, for, for what happens on Sunday, but for the whole of your weekly routine. And wherever you go then, you take the Holy Spirit with you. Okay, let's have a pause here. The next session's a little bit shorter and uh, we'll have time for questions in connection with that. So, ten minutes, would ten minutes be okay? Ten minutes, whatever you like. You're the boss, you're the boss. I just w work here. Okay, I can see I've got you all stirred up. You've had so many things to talk about. That's wonderful. Uh, spirits really work here this morning. Well, because we began with the Word of God and prayer, the Spirit is at work. Now, I want to pause here and uh, uh, deal with one question that's already come to me and open um, uh, for a few other questions. Now, if there's a whole lot of stuff, it doesn't matter because I've given you the most important part of what I want to do with you this morning. The first question is, um, now part of uh, the New Testament teaching and Christian teaching is that the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, okay, the Holy Spirit's a person. Now, this is absolutely essential if, we go, if we're not going to get things uh, messed up. Um, most people seem to, quite unconsciously, regard the Holy Spirit as a thing. As a thing, not as a person. Um, now, uh, what's a person? Look, it's not terribly complicated. If I say the Holy Spirit is, the simplest definition, is a person without a body. Just as angels are persons without bodies. We are persons with bodies. Now, um, if the Holy Spirit is a person but without a body, um, the Holy Spirit does many of the same things that we do. Uh, the Holy Spirit speaks. Um, the Holy Spirit relates to us in personal terms. The Holy Spirit acts on us, is an agent. And the Holy Spirit uh, interacts with us in personal terms. Okay, uh, person. Now, uh, is, is, does that answer the question? Um, you get the basic thing? So, the key insight is Holy Spirit's not a thing like this. The Holy Spirit's a person. Now, when it comes to, and I'm jumping ahead, but because it fits here, okay, if this is a thing, okay, do you have this watch? No. Okay, but now I give it to you. Do you have that watch? Yes. Okay, and 
uh, which means that if I give it to you, and really give it to you, you possess it. But what happens then is that that watch is taken away from me and belongs to you. Right, you get the basic picture? The gift is separated from the giver by being given. And then you don't need to receive that gift anymore because you have it. Okay? That's with things. On the other hand, now, uh, when it comes to personal relationships, uh, uh, you know, 40-something years ago, it's so long ago that I keep forgetting, uh, I got married. <laughs> um, and my wife gave herself to me on that day. Um, she gave herself and her love to me. Now, does that mean that I possess my wife? Look, if I start acting that way, <laughs> I'm in trouble with a capital T. And it's even worse if I begin to imagine that I possess her love, I muck everything up. Uh, in marriage, a person is given, is made available, but uh, how often does my wife give herself to me? Continuously, Continuously that's it. And every day. And that's partly uh, why uh, sexual intercourse is so important, because it symbolises um, that ongoing giving. You, don't, you didn't just have sex the night of your marriage, at least I assume so. Uh, I hate to pontificate, but I, I, I imagine <laughs> that you've done it more than once. <laughs> if you're married. Right? And, and the love then is given every day. And it's received every day, but it's never possessed. Now that's the key thing. Um, and the Holy Spirit's a person. Um, the Holy Spirit's an agent, acting, speaking, giving uh, himself to us. Uh, we keeping on giving, but we never possess. It's what scholars call an emanating gift. It flows out. You can't separate the gift and the giver. You get that basic picture? Now, where's my watch? I'm going to, the, the giver is going to reclaim the gift. Okay? And it doesn't that way. God doesn't give the Holy Spirit as a gift and then take the, the, the gift back. An emanating gift, the simplest thing is, uh, uh, if you take the analogy of sunshine, um, go outside, what do you have? Light, sunshine. Okay, but you can't, have sunshine without being in the sun. It's sunshine emanates, flows from the sun, but you can't have uh, the light of the sun apart from the sun. Or the same with these lights. I'll come back to that picture in a moment. Now, any other questions, important <coughs> questions arising from that first section? Yes, please. Yes. 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 Yep. Okay. A question. Um, do you receive Jesus in Holy Communion? Or do you receive the Holy Spirit in Holy Communion? Or do you receive God the Father in Holy Communion? Or do you receive all three? All of the above. 
all of the above. Okay, and we get an analogy. I mean, one of the issues is that um, uh, as human beings, and particularly as fallen human beings, we can't see how we can be persons without being persons apart from others. But in marriage, you get a, a bit of the mystery of God. You see, God's three persons, and yet there is one God. There's one community. Um, but in a very real way, you can't have me without having my wife. Uh, we are one flesh, and the older we get, the more we realize just how inseparable we are from each other, and yet we are, we are separate persons, but we are one flesh. Um, so God is three persons. You can't separate the persons of the Trinity, and this is one of the problems here in North America. You get a common theology. Where's God the Father? There. Um, Jesus, God sent Jesus from heaven, Jesus left there, came down to earth, and at his ascension, where did Jesus go? He left here, and he went up there. And what did he leave behind for us? Holy Spirit. Notice how, how you get a dividing up, separating of the three persons. You can't have one person of the Trinity as a gift without having the whole show. Wherever Jesus is, and that's the critical thing, you have God the Father's there, and the Holy Spirit's there. Apart from Jesus... You don't have the Father, uh, you don't have access to the Father, you don't have access to the Holy Spirit. Very important, because one of the problems of uh, both theology, uh, no, both theology, worship and piety in the modern world is that we have uh, Unitarian, we see things in Unitarian terms, either first article terms, or second article terms, or third article terms. Um, uh, we need to think we need to preach, we need to pray, uh, we need to live in a Trinitarian way. But that is another story. Yes, next question. Yes. How do you evaluate and look upon vast numbers of people who have been baptized? Yes. But have not followed through. And I'm thinking of European countries yes. where you are. Yes. You're entitled to be Yes, yes. They're a bit like those kids who have the Kleinig Super voucher, but never cash it. Uh, they're better off than those that don't have the voucher, but uh, 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 they're missing out on the real deal. Um, or to use another analogy, um, people who are baptized and never uh, attend the divine service, uh, don't meditate, don't pray, uh, don't receive Holy Communion, are a bit like a couple who are married but don't live together and don't have sex. Are they married? Yeah? But you say, what's the point of it? They're missing out on the good stuff. I mean, living together, that might be a bit... <laughs> but uh, the other part I like... <laughs> no? uh, they... they, they uh, um, they mistake the foundation for uh, the building. So, no, the best way I'd say it's like a, a couple that are married, but, um, yeah, live together. And uh, most, most of those Christ you know, people occasionally um, uh, interact with God. Now, they might come once a year or weddings or funerals and that kind of stuff. Um, but basically, it's like a couple that occasionally, uh, no, they're living in separate cities. 
Uh, occasionally they meet for a weekend, once or twice a year. Okay, the danger is that we say, uh, because there's all these baptised people, uh, therefore uh, baptism has failed or God has failed. Um, no, wrong. Uh, marriage isn't discredited because people abuse the gift of marriage. The answer, if, if marriage is abused, you don't get rid of marriage. You uh, make sure that people want to have the full works, the full deal. Next question. Yes. I have a question about receiving the Holy Spirit by hearing the Word of God. Yes. I find that it's easy to think of hearing the Word of God in sort of magical terms, yeah. which might be the difference between hearing and listening. And you touched on this when you said that we listen attentively. Yes. Can you, can you describe the role of the understanding in receiving the Holy Spirit and hearing? Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I understand the work of the Spirit in, the sense, uh, in magic terms, in, in one sense. Um, uh, that yes, it works, but it's good magic, not bad magic. Uh, uh, now, um, uh, it's, it's good magic in the sense that two things, uh, uh, there's two sides to it. Uh, there's not just the giving and the acting, but also the receiving. Um, the giving is there regardless of whether it's received. So let, let me use an analogy. Um, at the present moment, you're surrounded by uh, 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 various forms of electronic transmission. Okay? You know, there's cell phone, there's television, and lots of other stuff out there on various wavelengths. Now, the transmission's there all the time, uh, whether you've got the cell phone on or not, or whether you're getting a message. Uh, then, but in order to receive... Uh, something on the cell phone, you need to switch it on and that cell phone needs to tune to the right frequency in order to receive. So there's the two sides to it. So the gift is given, but the gift needs to be received with faith. But faith itself is a gift because the gift creates faith. So it's not, oh, I've got to believe or I've got to work harder at believing. Um, uh, that comes... Uh, as a result of being exposed to the Word of God. So how do you um, uh, become more faithful? It's quite simply, uh, more uh, your faith is nourished, it's by coming to church, by receiving the sacrament. And then there's kind of a loop that you get into. Big issue there, but uh, uh, it's, it don't... Uh, uh, be so anti-Catholic, if you like, that you uh, discount the fact that the Word is powerful, that Holy Communion is powerful, um, that it actually does things whether it's quite apart from us. Um, so the Holy Spirit is at work, if you say Article 5, uh, even if people don't believe it, the Holy Spirit's still at work. You get an unbeliever coming here tonight or tomorrow, um, they're going to be exposed to the working of the Spirit. It might be that spirit works in judgment rather than salvation, but there's one thing you can be sure of, that the Holy Spirit's going to impact on them in some way. Uh, good magic, not bad magic. Yep. Uh, you said that uh, the Holy Spirit and the angels have things. Yes. Persons. Persons without bodies. Yes. Yes, they are... Uh, 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 they're persons without body, but they are, if you like, uh, depersonalized persons. Just as you can have dehumanized human beings, 
So they are uh, de-personed uh, spirits. Uh, they've lost something of their, per their, their, their personhood and uh, they are dislocated persons. Um, they've lost their proper place, which is with God, together with all the good angels, and they have nowhere where they're at home. There's, they have no location. Even hell is not their home. Uh, uh, they fear hell as much, even more than we do, because whereas we have got no idea of really how terrible it is, they know how terrible it is. And so one of the funny things about demons is that they try to locate themselves. Then uh, uh, they try and find a safe place, an imaginary safe place, either in places or in persons. Now that's a whole different dimension. A whole different topic, yes. And, and I, I, I don't want to go any further on that topic, yes. <laughs> Not because I don't want to, but it leads us off this topic. Or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, has uh, called me by the gospel. That's the, his explanation of the third article of the creed, and I'd like to paste that on every door of every church throughout the world. Yep. That's right. Uh, he realised that you don't get the Holy Spirit, and this is. Uh, it's funny that uh, Luther has a good sense of it, but one of the Lu common Lutheran misunderstandings is to see that the most important is what we think and what we understand. The intellect is most important. Um, so many Lutherans come to church for teaching, for intellectual feeding, and they see the Holy Spirit at work intellectually. And uh, there's, there's a whole kind of a cold orthodox Lutheranism which is, uh, uh, has the right ideology, uh, doctrine, um, has the theory but not the reality. Uh, it has the form of godliness but it denies the power of godliness. Yeah. Uh, but that's not Luther, he had a fine sense for that. I cannot by my own reason, this part, or by my strength, now the kind of powerful life I lead, um, uh, come to Jesus Christ or believe in him, but the Holy Spirit creates and my, maintains my faith from A to Z. So I am a product of the Holy Spirit. Yep, back there. That's right. The believing from the baptizing. That's right. You must believe somehow in your own power. Yes, yes. And then be baptized and you're saved. I'm, I'm just, I personally have run into the issue then of baptism being separated. Oh, look, it happens all the time, and basically most of Protestant theology uh, has this problem of false antitheses. So, uh, repent and be baptized are not two separate things. First of all, you've got to repent, then you're baptized. Okay, they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, uh, be believe and be baptized, two sides of the same coin. Uh, baptizing is the giving, believing is the receiving. Uh, now, quite obviously, with any giving, there's always two sides to it. There's the giving and there's the receiving. Um, they go together. 
Um, there's, you could go through the whole of scriptures uh, and there's lots of places where people separate the two. So take the passage I started with Pentecost, um, uh, be baptised all of you uh, uh, for the forgiveness of sins. Now if you have a look at most translations of the Bible, they then, instead of for the forgiveness of sins and for the reception of the gift of the Holy Spirit, they uh, uh, separate that and say, they say, and quite often put a full stop, and receive the Holy Spirit. So, uh, uh, you're, so you get three things, so three stages. You're baptised, uh, you receive forgiveness of sins when you're converted, and then, the, then after that the third thing is receiving the Holy Spirit. All those three are inseparable from each other. Yep. Watch out for false antitheses, false alternatives. Yes. Would you please describe the kind of, uh, if, you, if you could say, spiritual progression of an unbeliever who comes to faith through hearing the scripture, hearing the preached word? Yes. yes. Um, the Holy Spirit's given and he works where and when it pleases God. Now, um, now, I thought I had it sewn up and I knew the, you know, the sequence of things when I was in seminary. <laughs> and I maintained that illusion for one or two years of ministry and then I found out that there's no common pattern. Now, I've seen and I've been privileged to share the journey of many people from unbelief to belief and you know one thing that I found? There's no common story. Each one of them comes in a different way. Now this is because uh, uh, the Holy Spirit accommodates himself to the person. Now fits the person. So um, if I can just say if, you know, something that should be very obvious, say if I'm an intellectual person, the Holy Spirit's basic tactic in my life is to work through my mind and thinking. But if I'm an emotional person, he's going to work through my emotions. If I'm, as most people are physical people, doing people, how is he going to work? That way. If I'm an imaginative person, it's going to be through my imagination. Now, all of us, and this is wonderful, God has made each one of us different. There's this enormous diversity. And just as each person is different, so the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is different. Now, uh, one of the problems that we face um, in the West, and particularly in the Protestant tradition, is that we regard certain experiences and sequences as mandatory. Um, so, uh, uh, and this comes in, then, okay, I, I say this is the way I came to faith. You know those kind of stories? Now, what's the problem if I tell you my story? Well, you look at me and say, I'm not a real Christian unless... I've had the same experience. And my experience isn't valid because his is the required experience. It's this, this, this. Right? Did you see? Now, what this does is, 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 is instead, uh, instead of the fullness of God, we only get one a small uh, uh, sliver of the fullness of God. And most people then uh, come under attack by the devil because they feel they haven't had the proper experience. That's the problem with the emphasis on experience. Can you see that? However, experience is important and sharing experience is important. Um, not so that we all have the same experience, but how we, we discover what? How 
rich the Holy Spirit is, how rich God's grace is, and one person's experience then enriches my experience, and we can see how, how, how amazing the fullness of God. One of my favorite passages in the scripture is from John chapter 1, verse 16, where uh, John says, And from his fullness, that's the fullness of Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. We don't have the fullness of Jesus. We don't have the fullness of God. We don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit because we've all got a limited capacity to receive. But if you bundle it together, um, just think here of the fullness of the Spirit that sits here in front of me. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we need to interact with each other communally and why uh, 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 the Christian faith is is uh, uh, communal. Um, uh, together we uh, embody much more of the grace of God than individually. Very important point. Uh, a very important point, particularly in this kind of Baptist uh, uh, experiential ocean, the fundamental thing, you know, the fundamental theology, if I read it right, that's popular out there, is first of all, what's the first thing you need to do? You need to be converted. How are you converted? By making a decision for Christ. That's the first step. Um, then after that, as a sign that you are converted, you need to be baptized. And uh, then the second stage is that you're filled with the Spirit. Okay? There's, other, there's variations to that pattern, but that's that progress, that sequence. There is no mandatory sequence. Uh, each one of you has a different story of your spiritual life. And that's what makes it so wonderful, being a pastor. Uh, I've got so many stories. Uh, I, I, I don't just see God's story with me and my wife and kids, but all these hundreds and thousands of people uh, with their stories. And sometimes I'm frustrated because I'd like to write them all down. <laughs> but I never will. Okay, time's running out. Is there any other uh, question? Okay, now I've got limited time and I promise I won't go over. So I'll just pick out the eyes of this. Um, just as we, uh, 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 we have the privilege of receiving the Holy Spirit every once every week, uh, God doesn't just provide that for us, but it's possible for us, and God wants us to, to receive the Spirit when? Every day. Quite honestly, I don't see how I could have survived as a pastor if, I hadn't, if God hadn't made this provision for me. So simply, every morning I pray a simple prayer. Every day, I and my wife pray a simple prayer, which is, Come Holy Spirit, Lord and Giver of Life. Come, Holy Spirit. I can't get through this day without your assistance. Um, the spiritual life, you see, is not the life in which we possess spiritual things, but we keep on receiving spiritual things. The problem is not in the giving side, but in the receiving side. And there's so much here that could be touched on um, this. The problem is our receiving. We live receptive lives. 
Some years ago, I w at lunchtime, I was sitting at a table in the seminary refectory, and on this table was a guy who was doing postgraduate work in uh, solar uh, uh, cells, doing some wonderful pioneering work uh, in this technology. And as part of his project, uh, for he, he um, uh, created a solar torch. Now there's an Irish invention, if there ever is one. <laughs> Uh, a, a solar torch shines only where? In sunshine. It can't shine in the dark. Uh, loved it. Uh, uh, yeah, it's funny. So it, it, in, in the refectory, you know, you, you, you switch it on, the solar cell's active, nothing happens. And then out, the brighter the sun, the brighter the light. Now, we Christians were constructed like that solar cell. Uh, we were not meant to operate in the dark by ourselves. We are meant to operate and we shine only in the light. Uh, and we can receive the Spirit only as long as we stay in the light of God's presence. Uh, uh, Paul says, bundles up very simply in one sim simple question. And it's an all-embracing question. What do you have that you have not received. And that applies both as, as created creatures in the world. What do you have physically that you haven't received? And even more spiritually, what do I have that I haven't received and don't keep on receiving? The answer is nothing. Even my life, which is the most fundamental gift of all, is given to me. I didn't decide to be born. I won't decide to die. <coughs> That's God's decision, God's gift. Now, the pro there's a problem that I have to hit square on because one of the commonest modern uh, misunderstandings, and it's not just intellectual, but it's a practical. If it was just intellectual, it wouldn't bother me, but it has, it's a practical uh, misunderstanding and uh, misuse of the Holy Spirit is the idea that you possess the Holy Spirit. And it comes in two forms. First of all, it's a common problem for many Lutherans. And it's been touched on, I think, in one questions. One question. There's a common Lutheran uh, 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 understanding that you're given the Holy Spirit in baptism, and from that point onward you possess it. That's what lies behind your question, doesn't it? That you've given the Spirit, and that's all there is. You're justified or saved in your baptism, and that's the end of the story. Now, uh, 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 listen to what Paul says about baptism. He says, God saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, um, whom he, that's God, has poured on us through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Now, that perfect tense, has poured, uh, uh, in Greek means not only it's a past tense, you could say he poured, but he has poured, has the idea, and he continues to pour on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So God saves us for what purpose? So that he can pour out his Spirit on us. And we can take in the Spirit as we're able to receive the Spirit. Um, sure, 
uh, the Holy Spirit is given to us, made available to us in baptism. Because I'm baptism, however, it means that I can ask for the Spirit. I can receive the Spirit. Just as since I'm married, I can live together with my wife. I can expect that she will love me. She's promised that. I can expect that she will give herself to me. That's uh, uh, the marriage ceremony is the foundation of our married life. Baptism is the foundation of our spiritual life. Do you get it, basically? So Luther very helpfully distinguishes between the ceremony of baptism and the baptismal life. They belong together. The problem that we have is that we separate the Holy Spirit from faith and the Christian life. It's always available to us as a gift. It's, we never have it uh, as our uh, separate possession. Very important. Lots of things will fall into place if you get that right. So that's the one Lutheran misunderstanding of that you receive the Holy Spirit at one point of your life and that's the end of the story. Now, um, however, that's not as common now as it used to be. Everywhere I go, I get the Pentecostal answer, uh, which is that you receive the Holy Spirit once again at one point in your life. And basically, the story varies, but the Pentecostal answer is that you receive the Holy Spirit when? When you speak in tongues. So the, the uh, evidence that you are filled with the Spirit, that you've received the Spirit, is speaking in tongues. Okay, that's bad news for you, which means that... <laughs> and it's a gift that's given by the laying on of hands and prayer for the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, um, it's not completely wrong. The cart's placed before the horse. If you pray to God the Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit, He will give it. But it's not because you speak in tongues, but because of the promises of God and prayer. And I want to come to that. So tongues is the evidence that you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that time, uh, that term again? You know, you have two baptisms. There's baptism with water. That's the inferior thing. It's not really worth anything. Um, it's of little or no consequence. But the real baptism is spirit baptism. You with me? Okay, that's the real baptism. Okay? So you get two stages, you see? So stage one is conversion. Stage two is filling with the Spirit. Now, there's, there's, there are variations to this, and there are charismatics who de-emphasize it, but there's always some experience which shows that you have received the Spirit. And the assumption is that you receive the Holy Spirit at one point in your life. And you have then... Two, the teaching of two baptisms. You have water baptism, you have spirit baptism. Now this is in plain contradiction of the Bible because what does the New Testament and the Nicene Creed say? Let's work baptism. I believe in what? One baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That's fundamental, not Lutheran teaching, that's scriptural teaching. And where does it come from? It's the letter to the Ephesians where it says, just as we have one faith, one Lord, we have one baptism. There's only one baptism, as there's only one spirit. And uh, you can't have two baptisms because the Holy Spirit's not a thing, but a person. So our Christian life is a life of ongoing filling, ongoing reception of the Holy Spirit. Um, 
I'll have to skip the next two sections. You should be able, if you're interested, to work this out for yourself. And I want to go uh, uh, to point six. If you can go over the page, I think it's your hand at point six. Okay, let's say um, uh, uh, you are not a believer and you come to me as a pastor and say, look, uh, uh, I believe in Jesus and I want to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, that won't freak me out. I'll say, good. It's quite simple. Uh, what do I do? I act on the basis of numbers, Christ's promise in number six. Jesus says, in connection with prayer, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father, the Father in Heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, you can't have it more simple than that. Do you want the Holy Spirit? What do you do? Pray. Pray. Do you want to give the Holy Spirit to another person? What do you do? Pray. They, because they don't have faith, they can't pray for themselves, but you can pray. So you can pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit to that person. So what do I do? Uh, if somebody wants to receive the Holy Spirit, I say, do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Yes, okay, then pray. God the Father, give you the gift of his Holy Spirit through his Son Jesus. Amen. Simple. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give his Holy Spirit to those who last? Sorry, I, I intruded on you without asking. Uh, we, one has to be very careful these days. Uh, uh, I don't want to harass you. <laughs> I don't want the political correctness people chasing me out of the country. Uh, okay, we receive the Holy Spirit by prayer. So I need the Holy Spirit every day to lead a holy life, to lead a, uh, God, a supernatural life. So how do I begin every day? By prayer. Not just general prayer, God bless me today, but I pray specifically for the gift of the Spirit and those gifts of the Spirit that I need today to get through the day. And most days, what I need most of all is not a particular gift of the Spirit, but I need the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. <laughs> and some other ones. Kindness. <laughs> Self-control. Now there's one that... Goodness. Uh, so uh, that's the things that uh, you, you, you have the right to pray for. God wants you to pray for. So... Um, for Lutherans, the we have simple devotional practice. Why is it that uh, uh, our Lutheran tradition encourages you to uh, begin, and if possible, end every day, but begin every day by meditating on the Word of God? It doesn't have to be a huge amount for a long time. You meditate on the Word of God, and then you pray the Word of God. Why? You, you, you read the Word of God, you speak the Word of God, you meditate on the Word of God, because the Spirit comes through the Word. Whether I experience it or not, I know it happens if I attend to the Word. And to be sure about that, I pray. I won't notice anything extraordinary during the day, but I'll notice the impact of that by default. I have good days and bad days. 
I guess you are different. You're Americans. Uh, it means every day's a good day. Uh, and you're good people. Uh, uh, but I've noticed that if I don't begin the day in prayer, I'm off-center for the rest of the day. I play catch-up. Uh, but if I begin every day with God, receiving the Holy Spirit, I can be in, and it's hard to explain because it's a, quite a tangible sense, I can be in the moment. I can be in the experience. I'm not always uh, sort of disconnected from what's happening around me. I'm off, not off-center all the time. Uh, I can be right where I'm meant to be. Uh, and things seem to flow, even the bad things seem to flow, whereas if I don't begin it, begin it then everything is sort of a little bit off kilter. Uh, that's the most tangible way. Um, but uh, the second tangible way is uh, that you probably notice, okay, let's go, say you go to church tomorrow, uh, you uh, pray, no, just for a little while during the week, it might be just, a, a, you say the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of the day, and remember when you pray the Lord's Prayer, when you say, thy kingdom come, you're praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? that's a prayer for the gift of the Holy Spirit, thy kingdom come, um, that's a prayer for the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you do that, then um, you won't notice it, but you have the gift of joy for the day, the week. Let's say you go to church tomorrow, nothing's extraordinary, you might feel all right, but uh, then all of a sudden, at the end of the day, you realize, okay, the joy of the Lord has been restored. The joy of salvation has been restored. Now, very often we don't notice the presence of joy as Christians, Unbelievers notice that they don't have it, they see it in you, but we don't see it. Uh, but we see it most of all by default. If you don't meditate, if you don't go to church, you lose the joy of the Lord. Um, daily devotion, daily prayer for the Holy Spirit. Notice uh, we do that with the Lord's uh, Prayer. Listen to Luther's explanation of the Second petition, remember the second, second petition is thy kingdom come. This it says, how does this happen? God's kingdom comes when the heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead a godly life on earth now and in heaven forever. Ah, that is fantastic. We don't just pray for the Holy Spirit on the day of our... Uh, baptism, but every day when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit from the Heavenly Father through Jesus the Son, so that we believe His Word, and by the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit, we lead holy, godly lives. We're empowered by the Spirit to lead heavenly lives already now here on earth. Now, don't get it wrong. That doesn't mean that... Uh, extraordinary things happen all the time. Occasionally, extraordinary things happen. But uh, 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 the ordinary things begin to take on a completely different complexion. The ordinary things become extraordinary uh, uh, in this way. Um, the rest can remain. I won't... No, I, I don't know whether you've noticed the Apostles' Creed. There's a funny jump. I be believe in the Holy Spirit. I expect the Holy Spirit does this. 
And it goes, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church. What's the connection between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Christian Church? The, the church. That's the place where you can expect to receive the Spirit. The Spirit's at work everywhere, but you don't know whether it's the Spirit or the other one. But the church, there you know it. And even when things go wrong, and as a congregation, you've experienced some hard times, and I put it to you, um, now that things are a bit better, uh, where in fact do you, was the Holy Spirit most at work? In those troubled times, or now when there is, at least I mightn't get wrong, there's peace? In the troubled times. That's where you saw the Holy Spirit most at work. I mean, the Holy Spirit's at work all the time, but that's where you see him most clearly at work. And hence it goes, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. Now that has two meanings. It means the common sharing of heavenly gifts, baptism, word of God, holy communion. Those common gifts make us a community. So through those holy things, you are a holy community, a holy people. But that only is possible because of I believe in the Holy Spirit, uh, the uh, 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 Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. Uh, those three, uh, those, what's it, three, four things belong together. Now, Scott, how do you want me to go? I can finish there, have some time for question, or if people want to stay behind after this, and I'll be open for questions, what's the deal? Thank you very much. Are you? Uh, are. <laughs> oh. uh, you're all invited back this evening or tomorrow when Dr. So, uh, you know, we, we like both of those things. We're grateful for so many of you to come, especially grateful for you. Thank you very much. Yes. Let's pray. We thank you, gracious Heavenly Father, that you have given us your Holy Spirit through the gift of baptism. We thank you for the wonderful way you've been at work in our lives. We thank you particularly the way that your Holy Spirit has been at work in this congregation and this community over many years. Thank you particularly for the miracle that uh, your people have experienced here uh, by uh, the clearest manifestation of the Spirit in which the Holy Spirit has brought good out of the bad things that's happened. Thank you for this powerful uh, grace, this powerful working of the Spirit. and pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to guide and uphold this precious community. Be with Pastor Brusick, Pastor Nelson, John, Martha, and all the other people who work here. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, empower them with your Holy Spirit, encourage them, give them the gift of joy. Be with this whole community so that they may share in the communion of the Holy Spirit. Uh, guide and fill each person, each family, with your Holy Spirit. Pray that uh, you will continue to build up your holy temple here. 
pray that your will will be done and that by your spirit uh, you may work powerfully not just in this community but also through this congregation in the local community in the USA and around the world. I commend all these dear people to you in Jesus' name who taught us to say, Our Father in part in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this hot daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the grace and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Two blessings. God the Father, give you all the God of hope, give you uh, grace and peace and hope through Jesus, his Son, so that by the power of the Spirit, you may abound in joy and hope now and always. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.